This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. Good morning. As you're returning and finding your seats, finding a place to sit, if you could open up your Bibles or turn on your devices to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. If I haven't met you, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is uh, really our joy to have you. Thanks so much for, uh, for being here and for worshiping uh, with us this morning. Just to catch you up on the past uh, nine weeks, this is our 10th sermon uh, in the book of Genesis. And we're only on chapter four, but it's starting to move fast today. There'll be a couple Sundays we'll do two chapters at a clip. So this, this we'll finish up this by the uh, early or middle of the summer probably. So we're going to do all of Genesis four today. So we've done like huge events already. We did the creation of the world, uh, pretty significant. Uh, we did the creation of uh, humans, Adam and Eve. Uh, we talked about their perfect marriage in paradise, and then we did the fall, which is uh, the uh, account, the historical account of uh, Adam and Eve listening to the temptation of Satan and uh, defying God and eating uh, the, the uh, fruit from a tree that they were forbidden. We saw their, their fall into sin, and uh, we saw God's uh, pronouncement of judgment on their sin. We saw his mercy to them in the midst of it. And uh, then lastly, we saw uh, how life was going to continue. God uh, did not kill them. Uh, he let them continue to live. And we pick up that story today. This is the, uh, these are the f- first events that happened recorded in Scripture uh, after Adam and Eve were uh, removed, banished from the Garden of Eden. So they're removed, and these are the first things that happen. And just like in chapter 3, we are going to see a wonderful story of both mercy and judgment and then more mercy uh, to people today. So I'm, I'm reading uh, Genesis 4. I'm going to read the whole chapter, uh, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord, Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, And Cain, a worker of the ground, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. 
Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and from Irad fathered Mahujael, and from Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada. The name of the other was Zillah. Ada bore Jabel. He was the father uh, of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we open ourselves to you today and we ask you to speak. We ask that you would give us ears to hear your word. We ask that your word would intersect with our hearts and we would have faith to trust your word. We pray that you would help us to see you in this passage. We know there are characters, there are people, there are events, there, there is uh, lineage uh, described. Um, but Lord, we pray that we could see through all the details and that we could see you and your character. We pray that we could see the mercy of Christ extended to us today. And my, my prayer, Lord, is that just as we sang this morning, that this passage would draw us to come to you, to come to the arms of mercy to run to a father who calls us home and who loves us. So give us ears for that message in this passage, we pray, for we know it's here. Speak to us, Lord, I pray. Lord, if there be any of us here, uh, surely there are uh, numbers of us here that don't even know you. We pray that you would open our ears and open our hearts and give us new life, eyes to see and hearts to believe. And for those of us who do, we pray that you call us to come afresh as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this story starts off with two brothers and two different offerings, and uh, then God comes to them, just like coming in chapter 3. There's a lot of things similar here to chapter 3. He comes uh, in mercy, uh, he comes bringing judgment, and then there's more mercy. So what I want to do is talk about the two brothers, kind of a tale of two brothers, um, and then I want to talk about mercy, judgment, mercy. It's kind of a, usually I try to have a central point in a sermon. That's, that's good communication. That's good sermonizing, but I don't have that today. So sometimes I try to have three memorable points. I don't have that today either. And I realized that this morning, like, wow, this, there's no handles on this. So here's the handle. Uh, we're going to talk about two brothers and then we're going to talk about mercy, judgment, mercy. And that is a mercy sandwich. So I'm going to serve up 
a mercy sandwich from the Word of God today. So we're starting lunch right now, uh, a mercy sandwich. So I thought, okay, that's memorable. It may not be very good, but that's memorable for sure. So we're going uh, to dig in here and have our mercy sandwich after we look at the, the tale of the two brothers. So we have to read verse 1 in light of verse 3. Adam knew his wife Eve. No means he sexually knew her. They had intercourse. Uh, it's that kind of knowing, personal, intimate knowledge. And then she conceives, and she has a son named Cain. And she says this most unusual thing. When I read this, I was like, wow, this is really unusual. She has a baby boy, and she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And I thought, wow, that is not, I've never heard anybody say anything at birth. It sounds like, like a marketing verse for Christian Mingle or something. I can see some lady, I got a man with the help of the Lord. And, uh, but here's why it says that. This is why it's not a marriage announcement. It's a birth announcement because Cain's name in Hebrew, Hebrew sounds like the Hebrew for gain or acquire. So his name is, I have acquired, I have gained. So she names him, I have gained a son and I'm naming him. I've gained, a, you know, a man. I've, I've received, I've acquired uh, a man from the Lord. And uh, so this is God's mercy. Because if you remember chapter 3, it was in the day you sin, you shall surely die. Uh, they die spiritually immediately. The physical death process obviously starts. They're, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're not, uh, their bodies are not going to live on eternally at this point. Um, so that does happen, but God doesn't kill them. He lets them continue to live. And then after that, Adam names his wife, Eve, the mother of all the living with faith that she's going to have children. And God told her that you're going to have an offspring that's going to destroy the devil. That's going to crush the serpent's head. So the text doesn't say this, but I, I think with, with reasonable supposition, with reasonable, um, reasonable, logical even imagination, we could say that I wonder what she was even thinking when she had this baby. God told her, your offspring will defeat the devil. Now, offspring can mean the kids you have, or the, the word literally can be offspring that, that means generations down the line. So it could be next generation or it could be 100 generations. But she's got to wonder. She's got this kid. The Lord has given her with help. He's given her a man. She's, this is the first baby that's been born, the first delivery uh, that's ever happened. And she's got to wonder, wow, is this going to be the one who's going to make everything right? We blew it. But God said he would be faithful to defeat the, the evil, the enemy one. Maybe this is the one. You know, she had to have at least that thought had to have crossed her mind. So she's celebratory that the baby has come. Now, she has a second son named Abel, and his name means vapor or breath. And it's really a foreshadowing of his life because that's exactly what's going to have. So these two sons grow up different, uh, differently because they grow up to two different vocations. I'm talking about the vocation of their work life. They have two different career paths. Cain is a farmer, so he works with the ground. And Abel is a shepherd, so he obviously works with sheep. So they, in time, bring an offering to God as an act of worship. Verse 3 tells us that in the course of time, Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. So some of his crops, whatever he was growing, he brought to the Lord. Abel, verse 4, brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions to the Lord. So two different brothers, two different careers, both of them take something from their vocational world and offer it up to the Lord. Crops or... Um, you know, something, uh, the firstborn sheep. So they offer their offering, but 
the Lord responds differently. The scripture says that the Lord received Abel's, that, um, that when Abel brought his offering, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, verse 5. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So at one, this is a perplexing verse, isn't it? They both bring an offering, uh, and it's not just the offering, but it's the person. God doesn't have regard for Cain. God does have regard for Abel. God doesn't have regard for Cain's offering. God does have regard for Abel's offering. So this is really puzzling. Why is God responding to the offerings this way? The, the NIV translates it this way. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So why does God not favor Cain's offering? That's the natural question from the text. And in in comments about this, Ian Duguid raises the question, the fact that most of us would read this and say, why isn't God receiving and uh, having favor upon Cain and his offering is very revealing. Because the question should be, why does God favor Abel and have favor on his offering? That's the question. Uh, uh, Just a few verses before, Adam and Eve have ruined God's uh, perfect creation through their rebellion. So the question should be, why is anybody living? Why is anybody having babies after they were told you will die? Why is anybody having favor on people that are acting uh, unfavorably? Why is God favoring you? That should be the question, but that's not the question because oftentimes most of us in our heart of hearts are self-justifying. We think that God approves of us based on our actions. We think that God approves of us of the worship we're offering this morning, of how we're singing, of how we're behaving, of what we're thinking this morning, of how much we just gave, of what we're going to do for the rest of the day. We think about our actions make God approve of us, that God fundamentally relates to us based on our actions. Actions, but the Bible teaches that God fundamentally relates upon us by the basis of grace through Jesus Christ. So God approves of us and our worship today because of Jesus, because of grace. And here, the approval is clearly because, ultimately, of grace. So he approves of one, he doesn't approve of the other. So what is it? Some people say the difference is because of the nature of the offering. Cain brings crops, Abel slaughters an animal. And so Abel is able to receive forgiveness because he slaughters an animal. Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So some people say, well, Abel could be forgiven because there's bloodshed, which foreshadows the sacrificial system, which foreshadows the death of Jesus. But on the other hand, um, Cain brings crops, and so there's no uh, forgiveness because of that. Now, the problem with that is that the word that is translated here, uh, offering, is translated elsewhere in the Scripture. That same word appears, and it's never a sacrifice of atonement. It's never a word used to describe the shedding of blood of an animal for atonement. It's a different type of offering. It's sometimes called a cereal offering, but it's it's a tribute offering. So when that word appears in other places of the Scripture, it's an offering that is given to recognize someone's rulership. It could actually be given to a king to recognize that this person is an overlord over me. So it's a tribute to someone who rules over. And so the nature of the offering here is that they're bringing something to say, God, you rule over us. You are king. You reign. We subject 
ourselves to you. So when we understand that is the nature of the offering and not bloodshed for the forgiveness of sins, but a tribute offering, then some things start to make sense. Because in Hebrews 11, the New Testament says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. So the nature of Abel's tribute was faith. Abel comes believing in God. And Abel comes submitting himself to the rulership of God. And here's how he demonstrates that. Look what it says. He gave, he brought the firstborn of his flock. So God, you rule, you own everything. I'm giving the first to you. And he gave the fat portions, which were the best. He didn't save that, cook that up and eat it. He offered everything to God. So He gives the first, the firstborn, and he gives the best. He gives the first and the best to God because God rules and reigns over him. And by faith, he wants to recognize you rule God. You have been gracious to us. And maybe even by faith, he's anticipating that one day God will, uh, you know, send send the serpent crusher uh, who will be Jesus to defeat the enemy and restore, reverse the curse. So he does that. Now look at the contrast. Cain, a worker in the ground, verse 3 in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Very different language. Cain brought some fruit. Abel brought the first and the best. And then later scripture tells us that he did that by faith. So Cain, uh, the Lord doesn't receive his offering because the Lord, the Lord doesn't regard Cain's offering because the Lord doesn't regard Cain. Because Cain doesn't regard the Lord, evidently. He just brings something. But there's evidently, and it really comes out in his response. The Lord doesn't receive. Now, we don't know what happened. We don't know how he knew God didn't receive it. But God didn't accept it. And uh, so the Lord, uh, so Cain gets angry. Now, that's very revealing. Because what is anger? Anger is a response that happens when I don't get what I want. Anger is when life doesn't work out the way I want it to. When you don't behave the way I think you should, and it impinges on me, then I get angry with you. When my expectations aren't met, then that could be a temptation angry. So he gets angry. What does that reveal? Well, he, he expected that God would accept his offer. I'm bringing something. God should accept that. As opposed to faith, which says, Lord, just I, I can't even believe I know you. Thank you that I can bring anything. So he gets angry because he didn't really bring something with his heart in it. If he, if he really brought something with his heart in it, it'd be, oh, Lord, you didn't accept this. Oh, Lord, please show me. What, what would you accept? What, what, why? What? Explain this to me. You are glorious. I'm submitted to you. I love you. I want to follow you. Help me understand this. Instead of anger, Lord, why didn't you accept what I brought? So that's the issue. He doesn't probably come with a heart, we would assume. He comes with an anger when he doesn't get his way. God should, ex- God should receive my offering. So this is, that's the story. That, that's, that's what happens in the account at the beginning. Now, what happens next is God comes with mercy. We say, well, mercy? He casts the guy to wander and all this kind of stuff. Where, where's the mercy? Well, look, the very beginning is mercy. Verse 7 If the Lord comes and says to him, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? So he comes with questions. We saw that last week. God comes with questions to Adam and Eve, giving them an opportunity to sort of confess, to sort of out themselves about what they had done as opposed to hiding. Same thing here. What have you done? It's an opportunity for him to come into the light. And what would we don't know what would have happened if he had been humble and repented. We don't know, but he, he wasn't. 
So he says, hey, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And so what does that mean? Well, in the margin of your Bible, if you're reading the ESV like I am, it says, you know, if you do well, it says, will there not be a lifting up of your face? So if you offer an appropriate sacrifice, uh, offering rather, if you give an appropriate offering, if you come with faith, if you come trusting God, will your face not be lifted up? His face had fallen. So he's saying, will you not go from frowny, mad, grumpy, demanding, hmm, that kind of deal? Will you not go from there to a shiny, happy face? Will your mood not change? Will everything not be different if you come the right way? If you do well, if you give tribute And we know Abel was by faith because of later scripture. So if you give tribute by faith and trust instead of angry demand, hey, I did my duty. Why isn't God accepting that? If you come with the right heart, you'll be restored. That's mercy. Again, he could say, you're just like your parents. You know, you're rebelling against me left and right. Who are you to get angry with me? Are you kidding? Who, Who are you to get angry with God who's letting you live? Every breath is mercy. Who who are you? But he doesn't do that. He comes asking, what have you done? Opportunity for confession and repentance. He comes saying, hey, here's the second chance. It's mercy. He's coming and saying, this whole thing can be turned around. It's, It's in his appeal. So there's mercy two ways here. There's mercy saying you can have forgiveness and restoration and a second chance. And there's mercy in that he gives him a warning. Here's what he says to him. If you do not do well, so if your heart doesn't change, if you don't bring an appropriate heart attitude to a tribute offering, here's here's what's going to happen. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, or it could be against you. You must rule over it. Do you see what he's saying to him? He's saying he's giving him a warning and saying, look, Cain, uh, this is serious. Here's your chance at mercy. I think we need to really hear this. There is mercy being extended to you, not judgment. There is mercy being extended to you. I urge you to receive mercy. Who doesn't want forgiveness? Who doesn't want the fallen face to turn into the shiny face? Who doesn't want distance from God to become intimacy and closeness and relationship with God? That's what he's offering. And then he's loving him enough to say, I want to tell you, right outside your door is a beast, a crouching tiger, you could say, a crouching beast ready to devour you. Saying you he's saying, you do not understand, Cain, that you are, you are at a crossroads. And you can, have the, you can enjoy the smiling favor of God, or you can be devoured and eaten by a beast. He's saying that this is your enemy. Sin is your enemy. It's ready to destroy you. Be wary, Cain. Be wary. His mom had been deceived, Eve. His mom had been deceived. And and so God is coming to him and saying, in essence, don't be deceived. Don't think that you can just walk around angry at God for not accepting the, uh, uh, the offering, which he should do according to your expectations of the creator. Don't walk around angry at God because it is not going to go well. Receive the mercy of God. Don't compare yourself to your brother. He hated his, first John says that Cain in the New Testament as well says Cain, you know, hated because his brother's actions were righteous. So maybe he's jealous. Don't be envious of your brother 
Just come to me because there is sin. But you know what? We, we often don't see sin. I love this picture, this metaphor that sin is like a crouching beast ready to pounce on us. Yet we cuddle sin. We think sin is a pet that we can control. And he's saying tigers aren't pets. Here's a story I read from the book. There's a book called A View from the Zoo. A guy named Gary Richman, he was a uh, zookeeper. And so he wrote a book. I didn't read the book, but I read this story. He, he wrote a book of just experiences as a zookeeper. He lived his life as a career was working with animals. So then he just would tell anecdotes. And evidently somebody said, you should write those down. So he wrote a book. And, and uh, this is a story from the book. Raccoons go through a glandular change at about 24 months. After that, they often attack their owners. So pet raccoons change at 24 months. Since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap, I felt compelled to mention this change to a pet raccoon owned by a young friend of mine, Julie. She listened as I explained the coming change and danger in the raccoon. I'll never forget her answer. Quote, it will be different for me. And she smiled and she added, bandit wouldn't hurt me. He just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Bandit was released into the wild. Sin is not a cuddly pet. It is a ravenous beast that will claw your face raw, that will pounce to attack, and that's what God is saying. So this is mercy. This is not, this is not God standing at a distance, wagging his finger like some dispassionate, distanced, self-righteous, you know, angry person just trying to... uh, Uh, like we are sometimes. That's not God. He is mercifully coming. And he's saying, sin is your enemy. I love you. I'm protecting you, Cain. It's a beast. Who is it? This guy was, the zookeeper was loving, telling his friend. He's not trying to ruin her fun. He's not trying to say, oh, you can't have fun with bandit. He's saying, bandit's not a pet. Don't pet the raccoon. The raccoon will will pounce on you and will, will harm you. That's what God's doing. He says, its desire is for you. It desires to have you. Listen, there's a New Testament verse that is the equivalent of Genesis 4 uh, and Genesis 4 uh, um, verses 6 and 7. Here's the New Testament verse. It's 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond our, your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is the way of escape. He's saying, get out of jail or get out of the potential damage, Cain. Oh, if Cain would have listened, but he didn't. And so we move now to judgment. Mercy, judgment. There's even going to be mercy in the judgment. But next is the judgment. Cain kills his brother. Again, I said, first John three says it's because uh, Abel's deeds were righteous and Cain's were evil. So he kills his brother. Verse eight, Cain spoke to Abel. 
his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. What a heartbreak for Adam and Eve. You know, the, the son, the first son, the gift of the first child murders their other son. In the first family of creation, there is murder. We'll talk about this in a minute, but that's the effects of sin. It starts here, and the next generation, it, it can intensify sometimes. So there is, a, there is a murder here that takes place, and Cain has a hard heart. Listen, God comes to him again in mercy because he comes asking questions and not pronouncing immediate judgments. And whenever God comes asking questions about things that he already knows the answer to, which is everything, uh, he's coming in mercy. He's coming with an opportunity for us to come into the light. So he comes and he says, where is Abel, your brother? He knows where Abel, his brother is. Where is he? So Cain doesn't repent. Cain doesn't say, I've done a terrible thing. I should have listened to you about the, the sin crouching at my door. But I walked right outside the door, remained angry with you, angry with my brother. I killed him. Lord, have mercy on me. I don't know what would have happened next. We don't know. But that's not what he did. His response was defiant. His response was, why are you asking me? He says, am I my brother's keeper? God, I'm not responsible. Why are you asking me about this? I have no responsibility for this. Give me a break. Don't be asking me about what that is his attitude. And so God tells him, uh, your brother's blood is crying out to me. I know he's died. And so he pronounces, you've killed him. He pronounces judgment. Verse 11, you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. So it's like even stronger than the curse in chapter 3. Uh, you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. So you're, you're going you're gonna to lose your, you know, any kind of you know, established life that you had here with your family, and you're just going to be banished uh, to be a wanderer for your life. So Cain protests this and says, I, that, this is unfair. Verse three, my thirteen. I'm sorry. My punishment is greater than I can be, be uh, bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. You're 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 causing me to go. I'm not going to be before you. I will be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This is such an ironic plea. He's just murdered his brother. He's just been defiant to God saying, don't ask me questions. Am I my brother's keeper? It's none of my, it's not my business. Why are you asking me? He's been defiant. He's unrepentant. God judges him and he says, well, that's unfair. Somebody might kill me. He does not get it. He just killed someone and he's saying, oh, I could get killed. Wait a minute. This is not right. Is this not mercy? God comes to him. The merciful God of the universe comes to him. The holy God of the universe shows him mercy and says, anyone who kills Cain, vengeance will be taken upon him sevenfold. So he says, I will protect you. And how does he protect him? I will put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So there's going to be some mark that's going to communicate to people, don't kill me or God will be after you. So I don't know what it is. This is a mystery. And this is where you can get so caught up. You get you speculating about this kind of thing and miss the whole thing of the whole chapter. So I don't know what it was. I only read one potential thing. Somebody said God must have placed some kind of permanent like tattoo, some message on him or something like that. So I don't know. I have no idea. But something, I don't know if he's glowing. I, I don't know. Something, danger. There was some kind of danger if you harm Cain. Somehow there was a mark that communicated 
uh, words or a message or something on him that said, uh, you know, uh, God's protecting him. And so is that not merciful? God says, hey, look, I will, I will protect you and you will go on living, protecting mercy. So what does happens? Cain, verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Nod means wandering, wandering. He, he landed in the land of wandering. Listen, that's life apart from the presence of God. He left the presence of God and went to the land of wandering. There it is. That's, that's a life message right there. We have the presence of God, and there is home, even though we're pilgrims in this life. There is a home. There is a foundation. There is a reason for life. There is a purpose. Life can make sense. We don't always see it, and it's, life's hard. But there's a purpose in our lives. There's a foundation in the presence of the Lord, knowing the Lord, experiencing the Lord's mercy, being um, forgiven in Jesus so we don't taste his judgment, we taste his mercy, living for him in fellowship with God, in fellowship with his people. That's like a centered home. The household of God is what the New Testament calls the church. Church is home. Relationships are home. I'm at home with God's people, God's word, God's presence, God's spirit, even though I'm a, a pilgrim in this life. Apart from God's presence, we're wandering. We chase. We wander and chase. We look for a home in so many places. We look for a home in relationships. If I can just have a good relationship, I'll feel at home, not in God. If I just have enough money, I'll feel at home and I'll be secure as opposed to looking to God for security. If I just feel good about myself, if I just look better, if I just uh, can remain young longer, I'll, I'll have everything will be okay. If I can just have friends, if I'm just well-respected, um, if I can just lose some weight, if I can just promote in my job, whatever it is that we chase and say, if I have that, finally I'll feel like my life matters and I'm at home. And he says, no, if we're chasing anything but Jesus, Life is wandering. That's what it is. He goes to the land of wandering, land of nod. So there is, there is, uh, there is, you know, judgment in that uh, for him. He is, uh, he is judged. So, uh, but there's mercy even in the judgment. So what happens after this? Well, we get Cain's line, uh, his descendants. Verse 17, he knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. They built a city, very interesting. What's the city named? It's named after man. It's a city of man. It's named Enoch. Uh, it's not named after God. Many of the cities throughout the Old Testament will be named after God or the works of God or things that God did. The first city will be the city of man named after his son. It's very interesting. That's what he says. He named it after his son. So we go through his descendants. Seven down, seven descendants down, we get Lamech. Emphasis on lame. Lamech is who we get because he takes two wives. So he, Genesis 2, we get a biblical picture of the purpose of marriage. God creates a man. God creates a woman. They're complementary. There's complementarity between them. That is, they complement one another physically, emotionally. They fit. They, uh, they have differing roles uh, differing sort of, they're equal in dignity and value and purpose, totally equal before the Lord, but they fulfill different roles in this relationship as they are together in companionship uh, to uh, walk out God's calling on them, which is to be fruitful and multiply and uh, to take dominion. So there's this wonderful picture, and so he goes outside of God's design for marriage. What does he do? He has a, 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 a husband with two wives at this point. 
You see this happening in the Old Testament, but it's never endorsed. It's never taught. It's clearly outside of what we read in Genesis 2. So he takes two wives. So we're, we're seeing the effects of sin. And if that's not enough, we have then now the second poem in the Bible. The first poem in the Bible is about uh, when Adam sees Eve. And he just, bone of my bones and flesh of our flesh, my flesh, it's a love song. He's elated. It's ecstatic. Uh, wonderful. Wonderful. The second poem, song we get in the Bible, this is a song as well, is Lamech. And his song is basically, women hear me. That's what he says. Ada and Zillah hear my voice. Uh, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. And uh, I've killed a man for wounding me. So this is like the first, I don't know what's violent, arrogant song. It's like a death metal song or, I don't know, like a violent gangster rap song. I don't know what it is. This is the first song where somebody is, I think the language sounds kind of misogynistic to me. Hey, women, you know, look what I did. I killed somebody for wounding me. A guy's bragging. The first song where someone's bragging about their sin to the women and hoping the women love what he did. So you, you can find this same song with different verse today. You know, somewhere, whether I, I, don't, I don't know what the genre of music is. I said death metal. Didn't that end in like the 80s or something? I don't know. I'm out. I'm not current so on what, what the most hateful, murderous kind of music is. So if uh, your pastor's out of touch, sorry. Um, I don't know what that is. But whatever it is, it started here. And so that's what he says. And he, does, and he says, I killed him because he wounded me. So he's just going to hurt me. I'll kill him. So you just see that what happens with sin that what happens with the pattern of sin? It just gets worse and worse and worse. Judgment from God. There's judgment in that God lets man go his way. If you ever get caught in your sin, if you get found out for doing something bad, that's the mercy of God. Because God is coming to you and saying, I'm pulling you out of that. You get exposed for hidden sin. That's God. That's mercy. Here's the judgment of God. You go do whatever you want. Then you start building cities of man. You start trashing God's plan for marriage. You start killing people and singing and bragging about murder. That's where it ends up. That's judgment. God just saying, you be who you want to be. That's judgment. So that's the judgment. The next thing is the mercy sandwich. So we had mercy, chance to change, a warning, plea to repent. We had judgment. You've murdered your brother. You're not owning it. You're defiant. You're going to wander. And then letting your wanderers, you're, you're just letting them do what they want to do. That's judgment. Then we come back to mercy, verse 25. Adam knew his wife again. She bore a son. She named him Seth. So she has another son. And then the son Seth has a son named Enosh. Uh, let's see. Uh, lost it. Is it Enosh? Enosh. Uh, he has a son named Enosh. Yeah, verse 26. Enosh means weakness. Total con contrast to Cain in his defiant, back-arched kind of arrogant pride against God, against Lamech, who's bragging and singing songs to his multiple wives about his murderous feats. Now we have a son called Weakness. And what happens next? Weakness is born, and at that time, people started calling on the name of the Lord. Mercy. God lets people go their way. He intervenes. He intersects. He calls out for redemption and second chances. He gives guard and protection, but he lets them defy him. 
but he is still going to bring a rescuer in Jesus. So he starts a new line with a new son named Seth, who has a new son named Weakness. And at that time, people start to rejoice in the Lord, start to call out to the Lord. So Genesis 3.15, there's coming an offspring that will be the crusher of the serpent's head. We get it here. We say, okay, that's the path. Now we're back. We had this sort of trail over here. Now we're back to Genesis 3, and we're seeing the pathway of what God is going to do. What, what do we learn from this passage? Well, I think we learned something very meaningful about the nature of sin and something more meaningful or, or more important to walk out of here with, which is the nature of mercy. But you don't get the nature of mercy if you don't understand the nature of sin. Here, here's the nature of sin. We, we have got to know that sin is an enemy. And I do not see that in my life very often. Sin is an inconvenience. Sin is a draw. Sin is something to be embarrassed and ashamed about. Sin is a bother. That Why do I keep doing that? But I don't often see it as that, that raccoon like that at me or that tiger ready to jump and kill me. I don't see it. But that's the nature of it. See, Cain's heart is not towards the Lord. He's bringing empty worship. It's meaningless. Somebody called that Bruce Walkey in his commentary says, Cain's sin in worship is the sin of tokenism. He's religious. He does the right thing. He gives some fruit. But he doesn't do it by faith. It's not costly. It doesn't reflect a heart that says, you're my Lord. It's just doing a ritual. That's tokenism. So God comes to him and says, you're just giving me a token. Your heart's not in it. Repent. He doesn't. So then he doesn't see the nature of sin. It's like a beast crouching at the door. So we need to be aware. Now, if you read this chapter, here's what I think the goal of this chapter and the goal of reading the whole Bible. Here's a reading, what I hope is a pro tip for reading the Bible, I hope. Uh, We should be aware of sin. We should not focus on sin. We should focus on Jesus. So I think the goal of reading the Bible is Jesus-focused, sin-aware. There's a very big difference. You won't really be Jesus-focused if you're not sin-aware, but if you're sin-focused, then there's one of two things that will happen. You'll either destroy yourself with hopelessness and despair, or you'll work that much harder to clean yourself up as if you can be good enough to win God's favor. So it'll either end in license or legalism if you're constantly focused on sin. If you're not looking at Jesus, you'll go legalism or license, one or the other. So we want to be Jesus-focused. In this case, I've tried to be mercy-focused, mercy, mercy-focused, But God's saying, here's some mercy for you. Sin's crouching at your door. So know your enemy and beware of your enemy. So it's not a lack of mercy or a lack of Christ focus to say what the Bible says and say, hey, what is my enemy? What's crouching at my door? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it lust? Is it jealousy? Self-righteousness and judgment of other people? Self-pity? Fear? drunkenness, sexual immorality, pride, self-harming behaviors of all types, selfish ambition, rivalry, jealousy, envy, uh, laziness. What, what, is, what is crouching at my door? I want to be aware of that. I want to address that, but I'm going to address that by being very aware of Christ, by keeping my eyes on him, by getting some help with this. But I'm going to get the help by not focusing You miss God if you focus on the animal at the door. So we want to be aware of sin, knowledgeable of our enemy, knowledgeable of our own temptations, our own tendencies, our own weaknesses. So we know 
We know what jumps out and tempts us and grabs us, but we want to be most aware that God mercifully provides an escape. For every crouched tiger at the door, there is a way of escape. And I get that escape from Jesus and looking to him. Not only do I learn from this passage that sin is uh, an attack, but it has long-term effects. Here's why this is important. This was written to the people that were in the wilderness with Moses about to take the promised land. And so what's he saying to them? He's saying to them, look, you're about to take the promised land and let's go the direction of Cain and, and Abel and not, and Seth, I'm sorry, let's go the direction of Abel and Seth and not the direction of Cain. If you land in the new land and you have, you don't pass, you don't have faith and you don't pass on faith. Here's what happens is what he's showing them. So they know we need the Lord. We need the mercy of the Lord. We need that Lord. Help us see, help us know, protect us, be gracious to us, receive our worship because of Christ pointing to Christ ultimately. So there's this generational thing as well. And then ultimately, it tells us something that's so important about the nature of mercy. Adam and Eve turned from God. Listen to this. Adam and Eve turned from God, and God comes with mercy to them. Where are you? That gives them a chance to confess and be restored. He promises a deliverer that will defeat the enemy. Mercy. I'm going to get you out of this. I'm going to bring life to death. I'm going to bring joy to sorrow. I'm going to bring light in the darkness. I'm going to send a rescuer to those who are trapped and chained and give new life. So he comes to them with a promise in their sin. They tried to cover their shame with fig leaves and hiding behind a tree. He kills an animal and clothes them. So he covers their shame. God covers our shame. That is mercy, mercy, mercy. There's mercy here. Eve has a gift. She acquires a son. Then she gets another. Um, Cain, he he comes to Cain and helps him, reaches out, calls to him that he gets a second chance. There's mercy here. And he gives him a gracious warning, opportunity to turn in worship, an opportunity to be rescued. And, uh, And he refuses it. But God gives another line. God brings Seth. And his son, whose name is weakness, and so they start calling on the name of the Lord. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need help. God, we need mercy. Lord, we're weak. Come to us. Help us. Show us yourself. Give us life. Lord, we need you. People start calling on the name of the Lord. The mercy of God. God will help. God will strengthen. God will assist us in our temptation. He will provide a way out. He will meet us if we call on his name. People began to call upon the name of the Lord. Named him Enosh. They came and called on the name of the Lord. I love that. Recognize our weakness and call on the name of the Lord. And be drenched in mercy. Be showered in mercy. Be flooded with mercy. There is more forgiveness of sin in Jesus than any than you can ever commit in a lifetime. There is mercy for the one who will turn in repentance and receive it. I love what we sang this morning. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. You can't have a great enough grief in your life that the mercy of God can't come to you and ultimately restore you when he returns for you. You cannot, ha- you cannot commit a sin that cannot be forgiven by God. You cannot have a hurt that cannot be healed by God, at least ultimately in heaven it will be. So run to him. That's the message. Come to him. Don't run from his presence. You run from his presence, you will live a life of wandering. 
and never find real life. Run to him and you will receive mercy. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.